Welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 33 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash episode 33. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I, we are over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get through those without laughing. Maybe we should just say we're everywhere. (laughs) Except Snapchat. We're not on Snapchat. (laughs) (laughs) You youngins and you're snapping and chatting. I wouldn't even know how to use it. (laughs) That's where I am in my life. I don't know how to use Snapchat. (laughs) On today's episode, White Sands National Monument, one of the greatest destinations we've had to date. And uh, we're going to tell you all about it and the surrounding area of Alamogordo, New Mexico. Great town great area to visit and we're really excited to dig into all that but first we are coming to you this week from elephant butte lake state park or as the kids call it (laughs) elephant butt elephant butt (laughs) yeah we just got here this afternoon when we talked last week we were still at leesburg dam state park we left there in between we have had a great visit to City of Rocks State Park here in New Mexico. What a cool park. Really cool place. We got to just play around on these old volcanic rock formations that sort of defy gravity. The kids had a lot of fun with that. And we got to visit the Gila National Forest and the Gila Cliff Dwellings, which were stunning. That might have been a personal favorite of mine so far in New Mexico. For sure. We're going to get to those things on a future podcast. Yeah, Uh, let's not put the cart before the horse. (laughs) Uh, So not a whole lot of RV industry news this week, but we do have some RV miles news. First of all, the America's National Parks podcast is now live with our first full episode, episode one on Mammoth Cave National Park. Yeah, this is really exciting. This was really fun to record, too. Well, I say it was really fun. I felt a lot of anxiety about recording that podcast for some reason. I love to sit down and do this one. I feel like we're just chatting and talking to everyone out there that's listening. That other one, I felt a lot of pressure (laughs) and I don't know. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I had a few retakes, (laughs) but it sounds really great. And I'm just really excited for the future of it and the upcoming episodes we're working on right now. We're really proud of it. We hope you'll check it out if you haven't already. We'll provide a link in the show notes. And of course, you can just find it wherever you are listening to this podcast under the America's National Parks podcast. Other RV Miles news. There is a new installment of RV Epicure up on the site. Which means there's a new recipe that Abby's (laughs) going to attempt. This one is uh, so Chef Hardcore just kind of decided to throw something together with what he had in his pantry. And of course it still involved meat and, and uh, peppers as they, they (laughs) tend to, Uh, but this is a chili with three porks and it sounds delicious. I don't think you need to say anymore. You just said chili with three porks. So that's it. Bacon, chorizo (laughs) and pork loin. in it. Um, We're going to have to try this one for sure. Yeah. So you can check that out. We'll link to that as well. And uh, and then we wanted to remind you again to join our Facebook group, the RV Miles Travel Forum, which we'll link to. And you can also find 
if you go to our Facebook page, there's a link to it there as well. And we got a question on the Facebook group that we thought we would tackle a little bit on the podcast. Yeah, it was a really good question. Kim posted, I am enjoying your podcasts, which are preparing us to start adventures with our first ever travel trailer that we are getting two weeks from today. My question, we have a number of short shakeout state park trips planned throughout the spring and summer, but then a long one from Cleveland to South Dakota and back starting on Labor Day. I have my South Dakota reservations made and an idea of where we want to stay on the way there. Do I need to make those reservations now? And do you think I would be safe to come back without reservations and winging it on the way home? Thanks. First of all, congrats, Kim, on your new RV. Short shakedown trips are such a great idea. Yeah, a new RV is like welcoming a new child into the home. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Major congrats. And it's important to get to know your RV. That's Mm -hmm. part of it, to know the systems and how everything works. But the main reason for shakedown trips is really to make sure you have everything. Yeah. Get out to a, a campground that's only an hour away away from your home and you're missing a few things. It may be not a big deal. Uh, but if you travel halfway across the country, it could become a big deal. So it is really great to get out there, figure it out before you take that long dr- journey where it's going to be harder to deal with any issues that might arise. As to your question, uh, Abby and I have been talking about this quite a bit. You know, it used to be so many RVers really did just wing it yeah. on the way to many different destinations and just really book the prime spots, the, the places like, you know, going to Yellowstone. But as there's so many more and more people on the road and who knows what will happen this year with the number of RVs being sold as we get into the more touristy summer season, kids get out of school it's getting more and more important to make reservations, uh, at least on the weekends and, and holidays and, and spring breaks, times when, when kids are off school and people are traveling. They are traveling after Labor Day. And so while I think that summer chunk of time, it's really important to try and book as many of your campgrounds as you can. I do think once you hit post Labor Day, it gets a little bit easier There's not going to be as many people out there. But one of the things I felt was really important was, you know, she had mentioned on the way back, should we book? And I had suggested that perhaps, you know, you don't go ahead and wing it. Keep an eye out on the campgrounds that you're thinking about. Have a plan in place. And if you start to notice that those campgrounds are filling up, check periodically, then, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to just secure a place. But by that time, you will have been out on the road. You know, let's say their trip is going to be a couple of weeks. They've got a couple of weeks of RV living under their belt. And perhaps if they're equipped for it, they'll feel up to giving boondocking a try. And I think at that point, I would rather advise someone new to the RV lifestyle, maybe not to boondock on the way out to your destination, because you are, again, getting the feel of your RV and getting a feel for the life itself but on the way back, you're going to feel like an old pro. Unless they, you know, unless they try boondocking on one of these shakedown trips. Yeah, that might be a course. way to do it as well. But, you know, the thing we've talked about before, if, if you are going to wing it, really have an idea of like maybe three different places you want to try. Mm-hmm. This place and then this place and then maybe a Walmart parking lot or something like that. That is your last resort boondocking spot. And we've done that before. We just recently had a trip where we said... 
okay, if we go, it's when we were coming to New Mexico. Okay, we're going to drive 300 miles. And this is a place we could stop. Now, there's also a place we could stop at 350 and 400 miles. And when we hit that 300 mile spot, we're going to see how we feel. And we're going to see if there's availability at that campground. But we knew that we had two other places we could try and we could keep going. And I think... Two, another thing to think about when you're booking reservations or not booking reservations is how much anxiety are you going to have that you don't have those reservations in place? And is that going to hamper your vacation? Are you going to worry about that the whole time? If you're going to worry, give yourself peace of mind and go ahead and just book the whole trip out and say, we know every single night of this trip, exactly where we're staying and exactly where we need to be. And that is totally fine. You can also look, look into reserving spots at places and usually state parks are going to be this way that have affordable change or cancellation fees. Mm -hmm. So if your big concern is, we don't know that we're going to be able to make it that far or which day we're going to leave, you can make some reservations and then you can change them affordably. Or if the cancellation fee is five bucks, and you miss yeah. it, you miss it. So it's not as big of a deal. That's that's a good way to approach it. I think another way is to just wait until, you know, maybe a week before or two weeks before. Mm-hmm. You don't have to book all these places right now. No, you, you can don't. book them as you get closer. And we've even looked at parks and another sort of criteria is how many sites are available at this park. If we are looking at a park that has, let's say it's a walk-in. We have a park we want to go to here in the next couple of weeks that's a walk-in. And my first response was, ooh, that gives me anxiety because what if we get there and there's nowhere for us to walk into but then we noticed that this park has over 80 sites available and i thought okay 80 sites showing up during the week and that's another good point too if you're showing up during the week you have we believe a better chance of getting a last minute walk-in spot and earlier in the day during the week too And so because we had seen that this place that's walk-in had 80 spots available, I said, you know what? I think our shot is pretty good that we're going to get a spot and we're going to show up. If it had been a place that was 5, 10, 15, maybe even 20, I might have reconsidered it and said, I don't know, Jason, this might be a gamble for us to show up. Especially if you really need hookups, because like the, the park, the city of Rocks Park that we were just at had maybe eight to 10 hookup sites, electric and water sites. And four of them were taken up by camp hosts yeah. and the ranger. Can we talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think three were reservable and the, the other couple were first come first serve because of that. We would have had to boondock one night. Mm-hmm. We happened, there happened to be a no show and we were able to take a spot, but we would have had to boondock one night and then we were going to get up early and sort of scout out for somebody to leave. But we went into that park with the mindset that that's what we were doing. Yeah. We had set ourselves up knowing that there was a possibility that we weren't going to get a site with hookups and that we were going to be boondocking. And so again, I think it's all about your mindset going into these trips, what you want to happen for yourselves and the other people on the trip with you. I think that's another thing too. take into consideration the people you're traveling with. Will they be comfortable with on the fly sort of like deciding where are we going? You know, is that something that your kids, if you're traveling with kids that they are even comfortable with, you know, our kids feel anxiety when they don't know where we are going. And so if we show up to a place and we're 
winging it. And we're looking around for a campsite and to see yes. when we might have to drive to the next one. They have a real tough they time. They get with that. very anxious. They worry about what's going to happen to us. And so we really have to take that into consideration and make sure that we have a solid plan in place so that we can convey that to our kids and they too can feel safe and enjoy their trip as well. I will say if you are traveling, if you're planning on like 10 hour days of travel, eight hour days of travel, long travel days, book the site. Yeah. Book a book, book the site, book a pull through site, book a pull through site near the interstate on your way, pay extra for it. Yeah. You know, you don't, <laughs> yeah. it's not worth cheaping it's- out to, to drive 40 miles away from your travel route. And take that from been there, done that. (laughs) It is not worth it. (laughs) I think that's a great question. I think it's something we all think about a lot, but it's one of those that you never really think about voicing, right? Yeah. One more thing I want to caution you on, Kim, is if you, uh, I don't know the exact dates you're traveling, but be really careful about the Sturgis Festival going to South Dakota Mm. and, and sort of the shoulders of that. You, you definitely want to book sites if you are around the dates of Sturgis, which I think is the the very beginning of September, if, yeah. if I'm right. I'm not and I think sure. she said she had her South Dakota yeah. dates already, so she's pretty solid, I'm sure. Thanks, Kim, for that. And again, join the RV Miles Facebook group. It's going to be a positive environment where we can have lots of chats, mainly about travel is our our goal for this group. And, and uh, we're excited to be able to have sort of one-on-one discussions with you guys and be able to answer your questions there as well as here. And on learn the from you guys. And learn from you. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple other news items that we wanted to mention. One is that the state of Florida, this isn't finalized yet, but it looks like it's going to happen. The state of Florida is going to be going to a year-round daylight savings time observation. Florida does not have time to turn their clocks back an hour. They're busy with (laughs) all that sunshine. And and it's not that they're going to ignore daylight savings time. They're just going to daylight savings time year round. So (laughs) it'll be like Florida for most of the year is on a different time zone than than the east. Or for part of the year. I don't know. One one section of the year. I don't know how it works. Look, I think it's been established. We don't do math. Look, we <laughs> we're, we come from Chicago, which is right by Indiana. And if you know Indiana, you know that Indiana, first of all, the state is split between Eastern and Central time. Poor Indiana. And then some counties observe daylight savings time and some counties don't. How anybody you know, knows what time to go to work if they live in a different county or. (laughs) It's very confusing. I mean, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I, my first thought was, okay, well on Sunday, we're all supposed to spring forward. So is Florida just going to spring forward and And then they're just going to stay, they're just going to permanently be sprung. And so then when it comes time to fall back, they're just going to be like, but "Mm -hmm." is this the beginning of daylight savings time or the end of daylight savings time? I don't know. I don't know how this works. We could, we have these things in front of us, these electronic devices that we could look this up on and. Ain't nobody got time for that. And sound more informed (laughs) than we do. But I think, I think the general public is with me on this, that most people aren't really sure which which is the beginning and which is the end of daylight savings time. <laughs> I I just think of it as we spring forward and, and we, we fall, fall back. backwards. And so, you know, I'm excited that we're going to spring forward here this coming weekend and there's going to be more sunshine and 
it's going to be later before it's dark. So, I mean, that to me, you know, is sort of like the trigger that spring and summer is coming. So but, a lot of RVers in Florida, a lot of a lot of snowbirds travel to Florida. So I figured that was important information that people want to be thinking about at some point. <laughs> I just I just imagine everyone running around Florida being like, what time is it? Does anyone know what time it is? <laughs> And then we also wanted to mention this app that we found, this new app that we we find pretty interesting. It's called Terra Truth, T-E-R-R-A. This is an app to report damage that you see on public lands. And it's kind of a way uh, that conservation groups have uh, developed this platform to let users document and report damage that they find on land that is not sort of protected by rangers, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not really for national parks and things like that. You're going to go report something to a ranger there. But if you're out on BLM land or national forest land where, where it's really wide and expansive and you don't have access to a ranger, this might be a, a good option for being citizen police and, and helping report things that you see that happen on public lands that shouldn't happen. People dumping trash and stuff like that. Or like last week, the individuals with their chainsaws cutting down trees. Now, however, they were in a national (laughs) park location. But if you'd had this app, you could have just reported them like right there. Snap, done. (laughs) So we'll provide a link to that as well. All right. That is the news for this week. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the most beautiful places we've ever seen. White Sands National Monument near Almogordo, New Mexico. Be right back. We're back and we're going to talk about White Sands National Monument in a moment. But first, let's do last week's Brain Teasers answer. Let's do the real business here of the (laughs) RV Miles podcast. It went like this. I am the beginning of everything, the end of everywhere, the beginning of eternity, and the end of time and space. What am I? This was a fun one. We got a ton of great responses on this one, a ton of accurate responses on this one. The answer is the letter E. The letter E is the beginning of everything, the end of everywhere, beginning of eternity, the end of time and space. This is like the RV Miles version of Sesame Street. Mm. The letter E. (laughs) RV Miles is brought to you today by the letter E. (laughs) Our winner this week is Kevin Shepard from Montana. Ooh, Montana. And he I don't know be why. Receiving... <laughs> well, there's not a lot of people there. I don't know why I was like, ooh, <laughs> Montana. I don't even think that's going to be possible to edit that out now. It's just there forever. <laughs> I'm really, I like Montana. I can't wait to go visit. Kevin will be receiving a RV Miles decal. And we will have the new brain teaser for this week's episode at the end of the show. All right. We just, just left uh, about a week ago. The Alamogordo, New Mexico area where White Sands National Monument is located. And uh, man, this is a, a beautiful place. The National Monument name, and 
we can go on and on about how Monument some Earth of Park. the the, yeah. the National Park Service units are sort of misnamed. A lot of them are, and it really has a lot more to do with politics than anything else. Uh, but when we say White Sands National Monument, really think of it as a large expanse of land type national park. Well, I think it's close to 250 to 300 acres. It's it's yeah, it's so it's not massive like a place like Yellowstone, but it's big and it is a lot of awesome, awesome sand dunes made from this. It's it's kind of like the Florida sugar sand you'll find, but it's it's made from gypsum. It's the only place you'll find gypsum sand dunes uh, in the U.S. and maybe the world. I'm not quite sure, but uh, they're just a whole lot of fun. It's like talcum powder, almost texture. One of the best things about this park to me is that you are encouraged to roam it freely. Yeah. You are not walking trails. There are a few trails, but you can go any direction. You can walk over the sand dunes. You can play on them. You can sled down them. You can go wherever. You can roll down them and climb up them <laughs> on your stomach as our children you did. You can fill your pockets with sand. Yes. And actually, you're not supposed to leave the park with sand. No. But the kids' pockets are full of sand and then our unintentionally. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I will say one of the things about this park, and I think this is maybe true about all parks and national monuments and just National Park Service locations in general, is that pictures never do it justice. And we had certainly seen plenty of pictures about white sands going into this trip. There's a lot of RVers who love to hit up this place this time of year. And I was overwhelmed when we drove into the park for the first time, when we, when you pass through the inter dune or the outer dunes, which is where there's going to be still some plant life before you make it into the heart of the park. It's, kind of amazing the way that transition happens. Like you do feel like you're leaving one part of the earth and traveling into another part that is so special and so unknown and uncommon. And so different from anything near it. Yeah. It's just a really kind of very cool drive from the visitor center into the heart of the park, which is about nine miles between the two. And at some point the, the road, the paved road ends and it turns into a packed sand road and you're driving on sand, which is really cool. Yeah. And I will say that our kids, so it's been about a week and a half now since we've been there. And even today, Ethan, our seven year old said, you know what I thought was so cool about White Sands, which is what you said just a second ago, is that we didn't have to stay on a trail, that we were allowed to go and explore freely. And I think for kids sometimes, and they understand why we need to stay on a trail and they understand the rules and the boundaries inside a park. But I think sometimes for a kid to really take in a national park, it's so wonderful to give them sort of like a free open range exploration of that space. And that's what White Sands allows children to do. And for our kids to climb up those dunes, to roll their bodies down those dunes, to play like they were on Tatooine in Star Wars and climb up over everything. It was just so much fun for them. And it was really fun for me to watch them interact with the park like that. They've never been able to interact with a park like that. We had just come from Carlsbad where we had seen amazing underground caves, but we couldn't touch. You cannot touch 
And so this was the complete opposite. Please touch and please roam. <laughs> this is a place where a lot of RVers, a lot of road trippers will stop for an afternoon and move on. Mm-hmm. There is a lot more to it that is worth, especially if you have kids that want to just go play in the sand. There is more to it and it is worth going for multiple days. We spent three days at White Sands, not full days because it is a lot like being at a beach where the sun is coming at you from above and from below as a reflection off the sand. And uh, and it's just wide open space. There's no shade and it tires you. It does. And so one thing to remember when you do visit is that you need to wear sunblock. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. You need to put sunblock on and sunblock chapstick bring yes. lotion because it's dry. And I found personally for myself that after about two to two and a half hours, I was pretty exhausted yeah. and my body felt just a little a little beaten, like a little dry, like I just kind of needed to get into the car. And I said to you a couple of times, I need to go to like a sauna or a room where there's just a ton of moisture because I feel really just worn down just by being here. And I think that that's why we needed three days. Yeah. You know, and the kids felt that way, too. The kids slept great every night we went. I wish I could take them to White Sands <laughs> Every day. And of course, we had that luxury to spend that amount of time in it. But if you did just go for one day, it is a place that you could go one day and you have seen it and you can you can get a lot out of it, especially if you're not the type of people that are going to do some of the kid type activities like sledding. You do not need to be a kid to go sledding. That's true. And there That's were plenty. True. There are plenty of adults sledding. Yes. And it's fun. I, if I didn't have kids, I would do it. I mean, I did it and I had I had kids with me, but I still would have done it if I didn't have kids with me. Sledding, I think, is almost like one of those rites of passage. If you go to White Sands, you have to go sledding. So as you arrive at White Sands, when you pull up, first of all, the road going to White Sands also heads towards the White Sands Missile Range. And the White Sands Missile Range is operative and daily. And often the road to White Sands will be closed for an hour or so. Usually it's early in the morning, so it's not going to affect you. We never saw it happen. But you take the road into White Sands and you arrive at the visitor center. You can go in the visitor center. There's a there's the short film that almost every park has. There's a there's a little bit to interpret. There's two gift shops, the, the park serviced one and a private gift shop that also has food and and, and beverages and things like that. And that's that. where you would purchase a sled if you did not bring yes. one. So you can get a sled from them and the sleds new are how much were they? So these are saucer sleds, plastic saucers. And if you're going to bring a sled, a saucer is is what you need to use, really. And so, yeah, they charge you $19. If you bring the sled back, you get $5 back. And you can get a used sled for $10. However, the used sleds go pretty quickly and aren't available always. And if you take the used sled back, you get $3 back. So what we did, we went the first day, we did not sled. And at the end of the day, we bought a used sled so we could bring it back the next day. Yeah, because we were not paying $19 for a circular sled that one person would be sitting on. No. <laughs> no, we weren't doing it. But the thing was, too, is that I wanted to get into the park for the first day. And I just kind of wanted to explore the park without having any 
things I had to do. Like if we'd had the sled, the kids would have wanted to just sled. And I just kind of wanted to get out there and get a little bit of a feel for the land. And we did decide on the way out. We stayed until about five o'clock and we thought, hey, maybe people have already turned their sleds in for the day. Let's pop in and see if we can get one. Ten bucks is a reasonable price. We'll get a lot of fun out of ten dollars. And sure enough, they had a whole stack of them. People had dropped them off on their way out of the park. So that's kind of like the little tip. If you don't want to pay the $19, if you have some time to spare where you're going to come into the park more than once, wait to the end of the day or get there first thing in the morning, right when the visitor center opens. So you go to the visitor center and there's a parking lot and there's places for RVs to park there. And you can pick up a sled. You can learn about how the dunes are formed, which is very interesting as well. And then then you drive in. There's one road into the park. You drive in. You go past a fee station where you either pay your fee or show your annual pass or your senior pass. And, and then you get to drive in and you see the dunes change from these dunes that are held together with plants to just wild, free, plain white dunes. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And there are several different little trails you can do. There's also a picnic area or two or three, actually, mm -hmm. where they have picnic tables set up all over the place. And they've they've done them really well. They've got these windscreens that protect you from the blowing sand if it's a windy day. So you can sit at a picnic table and and not get sand in your food and not get the wind blowing it all away. There are pit toilets everywhere all over the road. So there's lots of different places to use the restroom. If you don't want to use a pit toilet, you got to go back to the visitor center. Now, I will say that the visitor center they're constructing is the bathroom under construction right now. right now. Yeah. So it was closed and it doesn't look like it's going to be opening up probably until end of spring, early summers. They get into the more busy season. So if pit toilets and Johnny on the spots make you really, really uncomfortable, go before you get there. <laughs> like, that's my advice. So you'll drive in and you'll see lots of people will will want to get out right away and start going sledding. And if sledding is going to be the thing you're going to do, what you really want to do is get in, go towards the back and and walk into the dunes a little bit and find and even if you're not sledding, find some fresh dunes to play on, to walk on that that aren't covered in sled tracks and footprints and everything like that. That's re where really where the real beauty of this park is, is these dunes that are untouched every day. You know, once the wind blows all the footprints away, then they're all fresh again. And you get to just see this sort of you get to make new footprints on it. Yeah, there's something really magical. Even as an adult, there was something really magical about walking on a dune that did not have anyone else's footprints on it yet. Like it was just us and this dune. No one else had been there yeah. yet that day. And that was a lot of fun. I really thoroughly enjoyed those times where we kind of broke away from the pack of people that were sledding in that main picnic area and kind of went out into the dunes and found our own space. Now, let me say, if you are going to do that, <laughs> you need to have some visual markers to yeah. get yourself back. And they stress this a lot in the visitor center and every piece of information they'll hand you. It is incredibly easy to get turned around and get lost out on the dunes. Yeah. So if you're going to go out and you're going to explore and get away from the main area, make sure you have visual markers or you 
whatever you need to do, a compass, whatever, to be able to get yourself back. Because we had one situation and not a bad one, but we thought we were going one particular way towards the car. We just ended up at a different parking lot. We ended up at a different parking lot. And we were like, um, this isn't it because they all look the same. Well, and the problem was, was that we picked a marker that was in every parking lot. Yeah. So we didn't pick something unique. And then we thought, oh, it's that one over there. If you do get lost, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you can usually see you can usually walk south and you can you'll, you'll end up seeing one of the pit toilets and you can walk towards that and you'll at least be by people then in cars going by. You might not be by your car. <laughs> but some people really want yeah. to go out there yeah. and there are trails that will take you out there. There but- is a five mile loop trail that takes you to the lake where the gypsum crystals form that then blow over to the sand dunes. And we sort of walked out on that trail and then exited that trail. But they, you know, they really stress you need to bring a lot of water. You need to know where you're going. You need to follow the trail markers, which may or may not fall over because they're yeah. stuck in the sand. And you need to ha- you need to keep visual references of of where you're going. Yeah. And that's another thing I want to point out, too, that I forgot to mention earlier, is that the wind is always a factor mm-hmm. at the dunes. The wind is always blowing. And sometimes it's blowing to a degree where it actually hurts. Yeah. We had one day where we kind of had to just kind of call it because the wind had really started to pick up. And one of the things the kids really love to do, and most people do, is they take their shoes off when you're in the, the sand dunes. Take your shoes off and just walk the sand barefoot because it's much more comfortable that way anyway than having your shoes yeah, if filled I were with to, sand. I don't know how to recommend what kind of shoes to wear. Like if you're going to go walk that loop trail or something because I tried different things. I've got Keens and I've got flip-flops and I've got uh, my hiking shoes. My hiking shoes are vented and the sand is so fine. It just went right inside them and they filled up. The kids and I were wearing Keens, the standard Keen, like when you think of a Keen, what you would see in your head. I was completely fine with wearing that shoe and I think the kids would have been as well. I just, it's, you know, sand is going to get in there. Yeah, a Keen, if you don't know, a Keens are or like a sandal that's mostly enclosed, uh, but it's still, you know, it's a open closed enough. toe sandal. Yeah. The best for me was flip flops because I could just pop those on and off. Mm-hmm. And normally I would never recommend like hiking in flip flops, but, <laughs> but I actually spent most of my time barefoot. So holding them or throwing them in the backpack was, was easy for me. And it, you know, it's kind of nice. It feels good. Your sand in between yeah. your toes. Yeah. And there's nothing to, there's not a lot of uh, issues with animals, bugs. No. no. I mean, the park does have scorpions and rattlesnakes. We didn't see anything like that at all. And you're not likely to. There's no sticks to stick in your feet, splinters, things like that, burrs. It's just this powdery white sand. Perfect. I said to you the first day, I was like, I keep expecting to step on a shell or some yeah. kind of like debris that is yeah, washed up. It feels up. safer than a beach, actually. Yeah. And yeah. then I was like, but there's nothing here other than this beautiful, soft sand that I'm walking on. Another thing that we didn't get to participate in, but I highly recommend it. I'm sure it is amazing is at five o'clock every day or at the appropriate time, given the time of year, they do a ranger led sunset tour, sunset walk. Yeah. And... The sunsets 
in White Sands are indescribable. They're this is just a, gorgeous. If you're a photographer, get out there for the sunsets. And, and, and that's the time, you know, the sun, when it's low, even when it's not sunset, when it's just grazing across the dunes and it's, you know, they're dark and light and spots. I imagine it's the same thing at sunrise as well, mm-hmm. but we don't get up that early. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. It's, it's a wonderful place for photography. If you are not the type of person that wants to get sandy, that wants to walk in the sand, or you don't have the ability to, if you're using a walker, a wheelchair, anything like that. It's just not comfortable for you to do. There are options for you. First of all, the sand road and the picnic area, it's all on sand, but it's all compacted. It is like being on a a dirt road, but even better because it's more flat. It's so smooth. It's very smooth. very smooth. So you you could put a wheel, you would have no issue with a wheelchair across that, a walker, Mm -hmm. anything like that. They also have a boardwalk trail, which goes over some some dunes in between them where you're on a a sort of aluminum walkway and you can walk out on that and not get sandy or or you can push a wheelchair or whatever you might have out on that and and get to really see a lot of the dune area. Yeah, it's an accessible area. It's called the Interdune Boardwalk, and it's really kind of right as you come into the park, too. We did it. It was really beautiful. It has once you get kind of to the end of the boardwalk, there's some stunning views and some really lovely shots that can be taken with your camera. And the kids can still jump off of that boardwalk mm-hmm. and go sled right there. So you could sit at the picnic tables there or, or uh, on one of the benches and, and watch. Absolutely. So we did complete a junior ranger program here. It was, I think, the 16th one the kids had completed. This one was one of the harder junior ranger booklets we have ever done it was based on age level but they had like little icons that they had to do in the booklet and they had to do all of the icons and so this was one of the harder ones for our kids to accomplish they did do it but i will be very honest and say we got a little bit of pushback on this one Yeah, this one was the really the first time we felt like we were forcing them to do something which is not something we want it to feel no. like ever they just they wanted... were just being difficult <laughs> let's just be honest they were being kids it was stuff that should have taken 15 minutes but took three hours instead because they wanted to go and play yeah. and they did what was interesting is they felt that the booklet was hard and they complained about it but they didn't want to not do it because they couldn't leave and not have the badge so they were torn between like mm-hmm. we want the badge and we want to complete and they this. always have the choice they're not required to do nope. them if they but they want the junior ranger match so they do and so they we all powered through it but we did have to power through it it was a it was a tough one so white sands is a lovely place it's a great place to visit whether you have a day or three or more uh there is no campground on site there is a a sort of boondocking area that is nearby that you can use there there and there is a uh there's backcountry There's a back camping, country camping yeah. as well. We stayed at Oliver Lee State Park, which is nearby in Alamogordo. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Oliver Lee State Park and some of the other things that you can do in the Alamogordo area, because really it's not all about White Sands. There's plenty of other things to see and do. We'll be right back. 
So Alamogordo, New Mexico, it's it's a smaller town that still has a lot of things. It has uh, all the big chain restaurants. It has a Walmart. It it has all the services that you might need. It has some good food of its own. It has a Starbucks. <laughs> it has a Starbucks. It's an, it's one of the grocery stores, Starbucks. But but Ab, Abby, Abby Abby does not Abby discriminate. Dealt, <laughs> she dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> we spent a few days at that Starbucks because we needed to access the Wi-Fi. So we were very happy it was there. <laughs> so we stayed at the Oliver Lee Memorial State Park, which is on the outskirts of Alamogordo, right against the Sacramento Mountains. In fact, there's a little canyon, uh, a big canyon, actually, yeah. that the campground sits at the entrance to. And you can hike back into that canyon. And this was a cool campground. It really was. This is probably our favorite, or at least it was our favorite until we moved on to City of Rocks. And then I think City of Rocks. Yeah, of the, of the New Mexico State Parks. Yes. This was, this was pretty good. It was up there. Yeah. And the interesting thing is we ended up being able to get eight days at Oliver Lee, which I have been told is almost unheard of yeah. because it's such a popular space. It's I, such a popular, popular park. And again, like a lot of the New Mexico State Parks, there are not a lot of reservable no. electric sites. There are a lot of non-reservable, non-electric sites. This one had a lot of non-electric sites. I think that there was only one loop. Yeah, maybe one loop, one and a half loops that had electric. And then everything else was non-electric. And even those non-electric sites, they were they were booked. They were packed. The park was always full. It turned over a lot, though. People coming in for one or two nights and then moving on. We stayed at site number three, and I will tell you, if you can get that, that site, site, that is what we have been told. A ranger up at the visitor center said that that is the best site to have in the park because of the views you get in front of you, which are the Sacramento Mountains. And then because you are raised up higher over the rest of the campground, you are looking just out in the, in the west, the San Andreas Mountains and yes. stunning sunsets. And we got to see Venus clear as day at night, uh, we beautiful may, starry skies. We may have taken a few too many sunset pictures. <laughs> I think if you Probably. follow us on Instagram, you were like, okay, we get it. Y'all like the sunsets, <laughs> but they were just spectacular. It was a really big site. It's one of those sites we didn't back in. We went in it's, sideways. It's a sideways site. It's a sideways it's not site. A it's not a pull through. through. But it's a sideways site, yes. which is kind of cool because if you have, especially if you have a motorhome, but I guess if you have a trailer as well, your service side of the motorhome faces the road. Your campsite, you know, the side where your door is, where you hang out is all secluded and it, your motorhome sort of blocks you from view from the road and from the sounds of the road and all that. Incredibly clean and nice bathhouse. Yeah. Which has been Fairly common. There have been a few that have been haven't been so great in New Mexico, but for the most part, New Mexico state parks their their sites are are laid out well and their bathrooms are very nice. Yeah, and this one was really really up there, and the whole park itself was really great. There's a nice little visitor center you can go in to learn about Oliver Lee and his contributions to that area. He was sort of a famous cattleman. Yeah, this is named a controversial. After. Yeah. Cattlemen. And uh, we didn't get to go on the trails that leave from the visitor center. 
we meant to and we meant to and we meant to, but we didn't. But we did get to go visit Oliver Lee's cabin, which is sort of a a volunteer-guided volunteer tour. Guide. They take you on a drive. They open up some gates and take you in, and you get to see Oliver Lee's restored cabin. And his lands as and well, his lands. the things that are around and there. One of the cool things about this cabin is that it was used as a set for a sort of 70s Disney B-movie. And there are parts of this Disney movie set still standing there that sort of look like fake Adobe buildings. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> I don't know who the set dresser was, but well, I don't think it was meant to last yeah, <laughs> this <I> mean, long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why. You know, you had mentioned we didn't get to go on the trails. I will say I did personally get to do the half mile You went mile on, the, on the half nature. mile nature hike. Yeah. yeah, because I would use that as my running trail. Because Abby runs. I do. I like if I to. ran, I would be able to do those things. <laughs> I don't know what's stopping you <laughs> other than yourself. So. <laughs> Energy for the most part, yeah. really. But there is another trail. Yeah. <laughs> this want, is a, drive, This need. is a topic for when we're not <laughs> recording this podcast. No one wants to hear this. <laughs> but there is another trail behind the visitor center that will actually take you up to an overlook mountain overlook. You follow in the canyon for a while and then you head up some switchbacks and you go up to the top of a mountain overlook and it's supposed to be really beautiful. And one of the things you can do, this is backed up to the Lincoln National Forest and you can take this trail to the end of the trail and it meets a road and you can have somebody pick you up there or you can have somebody drop you off there and come down and then you can go with the downhill route. <laughs> Jason's which route. Is my route. <laughs> And end up at the campground and they don't have to worry about a certain time to pick you up. Right. And then someone can hand you a beer and you can go sit down in your chair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we really enjoyed our time. It was a great all, part. Yeah. It, we can't talk enough about it. And while we were also there, we went over and experienced the New Mexico State Space Museum. It's the New Mexico Museum of Space oh. History. Oh, my apologies. Get the yeah, name right. I know. Me. My apologies. This was a fun museum, though. We did get to use our reciprocal, so we were able to get in for free. Another great bonus of joining a museum in your your town, your neighborhood. And one of the interesting things about this museum, it's a really small museum, but it was a nice little Sunday afternoon spent, is that Ham, the chimp from the... The, the chimp that we sent into outer space, the first yeah, you know, the animal 60s, that right? we sent into space is buried there. He is. His gravesite is there. He you is. You can visit him and his little outfit and his little capsule are on view inside. Yes, they are. <laughs> it was, I don't know. It's how a I, little weird. Yes. Um, they're, but it's interesting nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoyed this museum because it gave our kids a chance to kind of run around and play in some of the different exhibits that they had. It's, you can... Again, it's one of those museums, I think, if you have the time to kind of read everything, then you might get to spend a little yeah, bit more time in it a than lot we of did. Reading. There, yeah. There, you know, I will say, if you don't have a reciprocal membership and you don't want to spend the money, it is worth going there and going to their outside area because out on their lawn, they have a lot of different rockets and different types of spacecraft, a, a cockpit from a stealth bomber, stuff like that, that you can just go play around in Ham's uh, grave in site. The park. Ham's grave. Don't play on that. Please don't. 
Uh, but other than that, the museum itself, yeah, we had a decent time. We had a decent time for a few hours. I don't think it's a place that we would feel the need to go back to. No, it's a one and done. But I'm yeah. really glad that we went anyway. And it was a nice, like I said, it was a nice way for the kids to play and pretend that they were in space and fly around to the different ports and different galaxies they wanted to go to and just kind of let them burn off some afternoon energy. The uh, So the other thing that we did in Alamogordo is actually outside of Alamogordo is the drive up to Cloudcroft. And Cloudcroft is a mountain town. You go up a, a very steep mountain pass. I wouldn't take an RV up this personally, mm-hmm. but it was it was fine to do in our car. You could take maybe a small RV, but it, it, it's there's not really a lot of places to park RVs up there or anything like that. We would not be driving Wander Bus. No, we wouldn't up be that. driving no way. Bus up it. No way. It is a beautiful scenic drive up into the mountains. You go through the Lincoln National Forest. You see a there is a a, a, a railroad trestle bridge. That is sort of on a curve that goes over a a canyon that is just a, it looks like it'd be scary as heck if you were on a train going over it. Yes. Um, But it's a, it's a beautiful view, beautiful sunsets from up there. So about halfway up, we stopped at the old apple barn and you'll see signs all over Alamogordo for the old apple barn. That's like 10 minutes up, whatever this interstate is or whatever this highway is. It was not 10 minutes to get to the old apple barn. Yeah, I don't know who was driving that when they <laughs> timed it, but it was not it was not 10 minutes going the speed limit. But this old apple barn place is sort of one of those mountainy type fudge shops, cider mill gift places. Yeah, kitschy like, you know, souvenirs, Pie, souvenirs all kinds of stuff. It was fun. They had we bought some fudge and then we had actually been recommended to go here by um by Bobby at McAllister's in, in Carlsbad. In Carlsbad, yes. He was Thank like you, you, Bobby. Yes. And he was like, you have to go and you have to try the cider slushies. A cherry cider slush. Yes. And wow, that was really good. It was really good. And I got a cup of coffee and it was a really it was a New Mexico brand. And I really wish I could remember the name of it. But it was so good. It was just black coffee with a little bit of cream and sugar. And it was so delicious. It's it's a cool place to visit. And we're happy we went there. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of it's a it's a place to get souvenirs. And they had sure. a little candy section with, you know, taffy that was like 10 cents a piece. And so the kids got to pick out a couple pieces. And that was, you know, two each kid got two pieces and it was like 20 cents a kid. You know, that's great that you can just and get them all something. It's the first it's the first taste of what you're going to get in Cloudcroft on your way up. Cloudcroft, it's like being in sort of, to me, it was like my experiences when I was younger in sort of like Colorado mountain towns like Frisco, where there there are all these storefronts in a row. It sort of looks a little old westy and there's saloons and barbecue places and places to get sort of handmade craft type souvenirs Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of a really small town nestled up really high in a mountain where you get to kind of walk around and and experience some of that stuff so high up that there was still snow on the ground ground. yeah this is a totally different experience than what we've seen in the southwest so far We're, we're up in the mountains in a pine forest with snow on the ground 
Yeah, I wasn't having it. <laughs> no, it was great for a few hours. It was great for a few <laughs> hours. We weren't dressed for it. We, we didn't. Weren't dressed for it. This was like a spur of the moment coming back from White Sands, feeling like we weren't really ready to go back to the campsite. And it was like, hey, why don't we just go check out Cloudcroft and let's go up there and have some dinner? And really, we didn't want to make dinner that night. No. We really wanted we always look to for avoid any, eating yeah. dinner. So we figured we'd find a place to eat out. And, uh, and, it was worth it. We drove up to a place called Big Daddy's Diner. Big Daddy's Diner. Yeah. And, and it lived up to its name. Yes, totally. It, you know, a, just a typical sort of rural feeling diner. But they had great portion sizes and great green chili, green chili stew. stew. Yeah. Oh. So, oh, good. so good. I had the chicken fried steak. I would highly recommend that. There's also we didn't go there, but there's also a barbecue couple barbecue places in the area they just didn't really have anything that our kids would eat so you know we weren't able to go there but they one one of them is a barbecue restaurant slash gun store yes that's the kind of thing that you get up up in cloudcraft was you you know what it's a multitask like i always appreciate when i can multitask it's like when i go to target i can get a coffee and i can do my shopping you know it's great So it's a fun town to go up to if you have a few days that you want to go up into this little resort town and get a cabin and stay up there. You absolutely can. I have a feeling that in the what they call their winter months, that it's really busy up there. Everyone comes up and kind of escapes little ski the summer too. you escape the heat in the summer to go up to the cooler mountains. And there is a ski resort up there. Yeah, as well. But it's definitely worth going to if you're staying in the Alamogordo area. It's definitely a nice drive to go up there, walk around, do a little shopping, have some dinner, come on back down. Yeah, it's not so far that it is a, a whole day experience. If no. you, uh, you can go for a part of a day, a whole day would be great, but you can go for a part of the day as well. And as you're as you're up there in the Lincoln National Forest, there are trails and things you can do up there as well and some scenic drives and Um, I think this was also your first real return to like having a meal, because as we've talked about, one of the things we also did in Alamogordo is Jason had dental (laughs) surgery while we were there. So I think this was was maybe that's why the food was just that good (laughs) is I was able to really eat a full meal for the first time in like two and a half days. (laughs) That's not that's not true. Actually, my first full meal was at the IHOP. Oh, the (laughs) IHOP. That was We did. I was just like, I'm starving. I need to eat. I have to. We have to go to a rest. So we went to the IHOP and Kids we just free. gorged on pancakes. We did. It was really worth it. They pulled us in there because they had a sign that said kids eat oh, free. That, that draws us in every, every time. Every time. And we all got like, oh, giant kids eat free. Oh, we can eat out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Kids eat free. At, in a, you know, it's not just chain restaurants. It's a lot of local restaurants do mm-hmm. do that type of thing as well. Anytime there's like a kids eat free special or other types of specials, we are surprised time after time how we can eat at a sit down restaurant for what it would cost us to go to a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Or maybe just a few bucks more. If you, you know, if you just look around and kind of get a feel for the town that you're in and you want to eat out, just check and see what the specials are. And, you know, if there's a better special on a different night, then maybe you just switch and go that night and Mm -hmm. enjoy that special. You know, for us, we just really appreciate that because it is expensive for two people to go out to dinner. It's expensive for five people to, I mean, I am always amazed at how the price of feeding this family keeps ticking up a little bit Mm -hmm. higher as the boys get older. I feel like my mom right now. They all want 10 chicken nuggets now, (laughs) not four. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> so this is Alamogordo and its little snapshot. Oliver Lee Memorial State Park is a great place to stay with fantastic access to White Sands. It's about half hour, 40 minutes to White Sands from the park, about 20, 25 minutes into Alamogordo. We cannot recommend this park enough. I do want to add just one more thing that we didn't do that you can do. If you want to, you can go past White Sands about 30 more miles to the actual White Sands Missile Range. And they do have a museum there and you can see a lot of the missiles they've tested. It, this is where they first tested the atomic bomb. That's so right. it's it goes back that far. And if you're into that kind of military history stuff, it's a good place to see that uh, as well. Okay, that is our wrap up of White Sands and the Alamogordo area. We loved it. You'll love it too. You should absolutely go. Let's do a brain teaser. Let's do it. What is the significance about the following letters? Ready? Ready. B, E, J, Q, X, Y, and Z. What is the significance of B, E, J, Q, X, Y, and Z? And I will give you a hint. It is somewhat related to what we do on this podcast. Talk way too much. <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll have the answer to that brain teaser and a whole lot more on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend, your neighbor, a stranger on the street, your coworker, whoever, and do please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We so appreciate it very, very much. And also don't forget to check out America's National Parks podcast as well. And until next week, you guys, thanks for listening and keep logging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.